Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my Taste Buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. We're talking all things gravel for our new seven-part podcast series here on Bike Radar, hosted by yours truly, Catherine Moore. From getting kitted out with the best gear for you to route planning, dipping your toes into gravel racing and simply why we love hitting the path less travelled, we've got a mega panel of special guests and in-house experts lined up for you. In this episode of our Gravelly podcast series, we're tackling the art of planning a gravel ride, which, as I'm sure we can all attest to, can make the difference between having a mega day out on the bike and a disastrous one. I'm joined remotely by my good pal, serial adventurer and hammerhead ambassador, Gabby Thompson, who knows a thing or two about route planning as Kamut's global community manager. Gabby is calling in from her home in Morzine, so she's literally surrounded by amazing gravel trails, not to mention mountain passes, mountain biking trails, hiking and ski touring routes. Hey, Gabby. Hi, Catherine. Sat beside me in the podcast studio, we also have some familiar faces too, with bike radars, Jack Evans and Robin Furtado. Both Robin and Jack have enjoyed their fair share of exploration by bike, including established routes such as the King Alfred's Way and the Celtic Trail, as well as some more homemade plans. Welcome both. Hi. Hi, Catherine. We're talking today about planning gravel rides, and there's several different things for me that springs to mind. How about for you, what are the first things when you're thinking about planning gravel routes, or gravel rides, should I say, that come to the forefront? Um, my first thought tends to be, how boggy are the bridleways going to be? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very British answer, I think. Yeah, because be, be, not being blessed with loads of uh, firm, smooth gravel tracks around Birmingham. I've, yeah, I've got to think, how far is it going to be fun to go if if the going's heavy? And that tends to be my first consideration. And also some some routes taking a lot of towpaths, for example, mm. and a little bit 
little bit sketchy, bordering terrifying. If you're <laughs> if you're at risk of, of 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 slipping into the Worcester Birmingham Canal. Yeah, yeah. Making sure you've got the right tyres, then I guess. And also, like you say, there trail conditions are gonna vary massively around time of year. How about you, Gabby? When you're planning one of your uh, alpine epics, what are the first sort of things that come into your mind for planning? Well, for us, we're always looking a little bit more at the gradient because what you find in the Alps is often if things haven't been tarmacked, it's because they're too steep to tarmac. Ah. So you, um, <laughs> so yeah, gradient is something I always look for. And I also always check the trail grading. So I do that normally on Camus and you can see if it's like S0 up to S5. So that's on the single track grading and S0, you know, it's going to be like compact, rideable gravel. Um, S1 will be like a little bit more interesting, but still like fine for a gravel bike. And then as you start to move up to like S2, S3, that's really mountain bike territory. Um, So I'll always have a look at that. So that gives you a really good indication if you're planning digitally in advance, you know, is this actually going to be rideable or is this perhaps a hiker bike section? Maybe I'd be better going a different way. Yeah, totally. And it's good to like put the two things together out here. So if it's a steep trail anyway, but it's compact, then yeah, maybe it's actually quite nice to ride up. But if you think it's going to be steep and loose, then it's probably a no-go. Nice. How about you, Robin? If you're planning a gravel ride, if it's something local or perhaps a multi-day thing, what the first sort of things that pop into your mind? Um, I'm going to say something that I wouldn't have said a few weeks ago because <laughs> like literally last week I was like, I'm going to go out for a short gravel ride. And I was like, I don't need to take any tools. I can just go for oh, it. No. And I got about nine miles away from my home. Then I got a huge puncher and I didn't have anything with me. And I, my, my partner wasn't there and he couldn't drive over. To her, so I had to walk back in the rain and it was horrible. Um, oh, so gosh. how far were you walking? Uh, like literally the whole way. It took so long. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so from that we'd learn, you should always be taking, like thinking about the tools that you should be bringing with you um and just making sure you have everything that you might need for like the journey and that's like either like long like food or like a uh, warm clothes or tools for fixing punches (laughs) nice nice and i think just from that little reminder my first thing incidentally would be where can i get food (laughs) because i love don't get me wrong i really love very remote places but I also love passing through little villages and towns if I'm traveling about and enjoying local delicacies like a proper Bakewell pudding in Bakewell or I don't know some Stilton in Longclawson or something like that so I always enjoy adding little cafe stops on my ride definitely that's something that I like to plan in advance for (laughs) but I think that just gives you a little flavor just asking around off the cuff about the first things, like there's so many things that you can think about when planning a ride. You don't have to think about them all. It's perhaps safer to think about certain things than others, um, but it's not simply route planning. And as you said, Robin, a <laughs> little bit of planning can go a long way and uh, save you walking a long way home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we kick off with tools and spares and that sort of thing? Um, I think you certainly do need to carry more when you're on a gravel ride compared to like a road ride, for example, because you tend to be further from a road or civilization. Um, and it's really good to be able to be a bit more self-sufficient and fix that puncture or whatever's gone wrong. What do you typically carry, Jack, when you're going out on your gravel rides um, to help prepare for that? I typically take quite a weighty multi-tool that's, a, that's a, almost a sort of Swiss army knife um, style uh, tool rather than a, a small 
basically just a, a wrench set I might take on a road ride just because it's got basically everything on there. I mean, it's even got, it's got everything from a bottle opener to, to a chain tool. So it's really nice. got you covered. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, it's the kind of thing that really kind of thuds down in your hands. So you, you, don't, you don't want it in your back pocket. You're going to want one of those trendy gravel uh, bags, uh, sort of bike packing bags or a saddle, a saddle bag. Bum bag? Yeah. Fanny pack? Maybe even a bum bag, <laughs> perhaps a canister bag. And you're going to want to put it in there along with puncture repair. As I've said on a previous uh, Bike Radar podcast about choosing the best gravel tires, mm-hmm. I actually still run tubes for gravel. So I always have a, at least two spare tubes. Good set of um, yeah tire levers, of course, and also a better pump, a sort of a more powerful hand pump than I might take on on my road bike just because I, I think if it, it, I think some people might have canisters but I don't get on well with a solid solid hand pump that's gonna get get the tire up nice nice and quickly um particularly if, if the weather turns you don't want yeah. to be um f- fiddling away with a tiny size road pump mm. I learned when I did a little bit of guiding I think it's a really fair point that you can use a gas canister and that's really good, but then it's it's gone if anything else happens after that. Whereas a pump, you've got it and you can use it as many times as you like, whether that's for you or for some friends. And I didn't realise there's actually a difference between um, sort of road bike specific high pressure pumps versus more gravel friendly high volume pumps, but more for sort of gravel and mountain biking. So that can make a big difference, even if they are a bit more chunky um, again. As Jack Luke would say, luggage is not a crime. <laughs> Embrace the, uh, do you use a bum bag or a saddle bag? Gabby, what's your sort of luggage of choice if you're going for a gravel ride? Yeah, both actually. With my gravel bike, I actually always seem to have some kind of bag on the bike. So I leave my like half frame bag in there all the time. I've got like a small bag on the top and sometimes I'll have like a handlebar bag on there as well. And then if I can get away with it, sometimes I'll ride with that bum bag just because it's, sometimes it's nice, isn't it, not to have the extra weight on your body. But if I'm doing something a bit more adventurous, then yeah, I'll have one of those as well. Nice. And what are your go-to tools, apart from those ones that Jack have mentioned, tools and spares, the sort of things that you'll take with you? Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem. Of a detour. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I run my tires tubeless. So I guess I often have a lot of things like tire plugs with me. Um, so I can try and fix like a hole in the tire or something like that. But I will also bring tubes because sometimes, yeah, yeah. it's not fixable. <laughs> uh, cable ties because nice. they can fix almost everything. <laughs> um, can't think of what 
else I would take that's additional to that? Um, I do actually just take a small pump with me. I haven't tried a high volume one yet, but that sounds great. And I did see the other day, just talking about canisters, I don't normally carry canisters on me actually either, just because I'm not organized enough to always have like a full one. But (laughs) my friend had one with a valve on, so it actually looks super cool because you can top up a tire really quickly, but then you can like cap it. So then you might actually still have enough in there if you had like a second incident or um, something like that. I also carry a few other little bits like uh, a quick link always comes in handy. Make sure that it's the right speed for your chain, though. That's top tip. Oh, Jack, is that a mistake that you've made before? This, this was a situation that didn't actually befall me this time. Um, it fell a, a club mate on um, a recent Rafa Day in Hell ride uh, the, the, from, from Birmingham where following a very technical off-road descent, someone broke their chain and being on a nine-speed bike, no one had the, the correct um, link because we were all riding 11-speed. So unfortunately or fortunately we we're right next to the fountain pub so he, he, <laughs> he later sent us a picture of him enjoying a, a sandwich and a few pints while waiting for his wife to go and pick him up oh, nice. but um you're not always that lucky and you're not always so lucky that it's on a, a really like lovely saturday um so and right next to the pub and could right be next in the to the middle pub. of nowhere in the mountains somewhere yeah. it, it could have been a lot more it could have been a lot more remote so that yeah that's definitely worth bearing in mind the compatibility of the of the tool and, and the link in the chain. A good friend of mine, Claire, I saw her sort of spares and tools kit a few years ago and that was heavily influential in my own bum bag mm-hmm. setup. And she had all sorts of little bits and bobs that might seem a bit excessive, but, you know, those tiny, teeny, tiny little super glue packets. So they actually come in really handy for, like, gluing little bits of tyre together. Or I also carry the self-adhesive patches. So you can actually patch a tyre from the inside using one of those, and then reinforced with super glue, little bits like that. And my absolute favourite is the tyre boot, homemade out of a piece of old um, toothpaste t- tube. So when you finish with a toothpaste tube, your Colgate or whatever, uh, other toothpastes are available, then you can just <laughs> cut it off, wash it out, round off the corners so you don't have any spiky edges, and you've got yourself a free tyre boot. That's my top tip. Great. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, yeah, you definitely do need a lot more stuff with you when you're out on a gravel ride because, you know, you don't want to be stranded in the middle of nowhere. But it does actually fit down really nicely into a compact size. And as long as you remember to strap it to your bike or leave it in your bag, um, it shouldn't be too much uh, to think about every single time you ride. But when you're coming onto your ride, you might not want to do the same route every single time. So... For somebody who's relatively new to gravel riding, Robin, would you have any tips on how to just get out there? What kind of routes have you got available to you? I guess I would say go on Commute. I I use Commute. There are also other ones, but I think probably Commute's the best for making like good routes. Um, And I think look at what other people have recommended because you can make it so... Commute knows your ability, so it can do like easy recommendations rather than like hard recommendations. Other people would have put uh, things on the map, which will show you where you can go nearby. Um, and so I think just start off quite easy, try and get something that's quite close by, um, and see if you can get there and back. Um, and then, yeah, that should be good. You say start off quite easy. Have you, like me, learned the hard way? that 100 kilometres of gravel is not the same as 100 kilometres of road. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also gradients. You think climbing, I don't know, like 50 metres on a road is a lot 
hard, a lot easier than climbing 50 meters on like a really bumpy, rocky gr- bridle way that you're by pushing the whole way up. And that's going to take you a lot longer. Um, it's going to be a lot more tiring. So I think thinking about like less climbing to begin with and like shorter distances just to see like, what you can fit in there. Definitely. And Gabby, living in the Alps, your 100 kilometers of gravel here compared to 100 kilometers of gravel there must be totally different as well. Yeah, I always think actually wherever I'm riding gravel, I almost like I find it's comparable to think of 100k on the road and then you times it by like 1.5. So I think 100 100k of gravel feels almost like doing a 150k road ride. I don't know if you can like relate to that. (laughs) Um, So I always add on like that little bit extra time. And if I go for I I think coming from road riding, I had to get in my head as well that actually going for like a 20k gravel ride, which wouldn't sound like loads on the road, is actually a pretty decent gravel ride. Definitely. Um, 20k can sometimes take you quite a while, um, depending where you end up. When I first started um, making routes for gravel rides, I was obsessed with getting as like as much as I could off road as well. Mm. So putting in these kind of like pointless little bridleway tracks that I knew would be like super boggy or like always going out of the city through a park which is perfectly fine and good but like sometimes it's just better to take a road that you know will be much quicker to get you a bit further out or experiencing some new stuff so I think there's definitely like a sweet spot of road to off-road mix as well that you can find. And when you mentioned about the bogginess as well, I think if you know there's going to be really thick mud and you're just going to be like squelching through it and you're going to be covered in mud after it, and then you just get cold and muddy. So sometimes it's good to avoid those routes. Yeah, definitely. And we're really blessed in the UK to have such a diverse sort of range of gravel riding territory. So my favourite or one of my favourites is the New Forest because you can go there year round and they have these wide, wonderful gravelly tracks that go on for miles and miles and miles and you don't get muddy which is a miracle whereas if you're riding around Bristol in the winter you're gonna be caked I think if you're riding around Bristol in the winter on the road you're probably gonna get pretty filthy too but um there's certainly places that you can head for like a fun all-weather gravel ride whether that's you know the new forest or the big wide gravel tracks of Uh, mid Wales or you know Scotland's absolutely blessed with all these forestry tracks rather than going for the narrower single track um, bridleways that might have had a lot of other like foot traffic or or riding horse riding traffic and cycle traffic that tend to get a bit boggier as well how about you Jack what about around the Midlands are there any sort of like go-to byways bridleways or uh, is it just sort of like see what you find on your ride yeah, there are a number of um, bridleways um, in Warwickshire, which is east of Birmingham, and that that land's quite flat, dominated by river valleys. And most most of the time, the bridleways are pretty heavy going in winter. So, on, on the likes of commutes, often people will leave a, a note on a favourite um, track that they've they've noted down and say best avoided in winter. And I, I've, I always look out for that and always trust it because they've put it there for a reason. But um if you if you switch over to Worcestershire it's slightly firmer rock um so it drains a bit better um it's slightly yeah being slightly hillier and somewhere like the like the Clent Hills where we did a, a lot of our um Rafa Day and Hell ride on our, on mainly on road bikes but um the uh the gravel trails there are really good and it is quite it is quite a firm surface and um then probably this is a bit further out and it's um 
having mentioned that sometimes you do need to take take roads to get to a good destination for gravel riding that's what i tend to do if i was going further afield say into the wire forest or kinva where there's lots of forestry trails out there but yeah it's it's really really good uninterrupted riding sort of mile after mile but to get out there in a reasonable time you do need to do a fair bit of road so obviously that influences um the length of your ride the, the speed and what tires you're going for um, but i'd say those are those are my fa- favorite areas and then um sometimes the inner city um brought um towpaths as well mm-hmm. that can be quite a fun ride just to just a sort of urban explore um go right round um right around the top of birmingham see the spaghetti junction where all the motorways cross it's um it's a different kind of uh, from a different gravel beauty yeah, yeah absolutely that's actually one of my favorite things about living in bristol actually is that in all the parks you can actually legally ride through even though they're technically footpaths uh they're permissive as long as you're considerate which i think you should be anyway um and it's really great you can forget about planning almost you know you don't have to plot out a route just so you can follow the breadcrumbs and you can have a really fun time just noodling about in the in the woods or sort of these little urban places and then sort of like finish in a nice little pub or cafe or something for dinner and wind your way home so i think there's there's planning a route or an idea but you don't always have to have a solid route and you might be out on a lane somewhere in the middle of nowhere sort of following a route and then all of a sudden there's like a bridleway that you didn't even realize was there and you know just because you've made a route doesn't mean that you have to stick to it you could just be like oh I'm gonna go and explore that and see how that goes and it could be disastrous or it could be amazing but you won't know until you've gone down there do you? I had an, that exact experience this weekend, actually. Oh, God. I was in the Y and I was like going down this road and I was like, oh, look, there's a bridal path up there. And the first like half of the bridal path is like so steep. You're like pushing and pushing and pushing over these like massive rocks. But then at the top, it was this like amazing, like sunken bridal way with all these like trees. Um, and there was like bluebell woods on each side and it was beautiful. I was like, it was worth the push, you know, mm-hmm. but I didn't really know what was up there. So it's quite fun just having that like, oh, see what happens. Yeah. How about for you, Gabby, in the Alps? Are there particular areas that you know will be full of amazing gravel trails that you head for? Or do you sort of like make it up as you go along? Um, One thing that we have here that's always like pretty good and pretty fun, which I suppose you often have everywhere, is really good river trails. So often if I don't want to set out and know that I'm going to be doing some ginormous climb I'll like head for like an area where there's like a river trail. And then often there's also some woodland either side and just tons of like fun stuff to play around on and like practice some skills and just like have a good time I also spend a lot of time just looking at the map and one of the really cool things for me is I love how like you said you can ride some road ride some gravel but the gravel sections often allow you to link up places that otherwise you couldn't so yeah I'm quite obsessed with like looking at the map and trying to figure out what I can join together and make different loops with yeah, definitely. I had exactly that the other day, actually. I was riding down and out of Ashburton in southern Dartmoor um, on a road ride on a fancy aero road bike <laughs> with 28 mil tyres. So that's fairly wide. And uh, we were going up this lane and I could see on my map, on my head unit, that there was like a little dashed line sort of um, linking up the end of this lane, which the signpost was saying uh, sort of dead end. And then there was another lane just just a few hundred meters and it turned out that it was just a few hundred meters of bridleway and thank goodness it was dry because it would have otherwise been very muddy and it was actually really good fun on our road bikes <laughs> just cutting through and it was like yeah a way of avoiding a busier main road 
on this lovely little lane in a tiny bit of bridle way. So that worked out really well. I did the exact same thing on um, on Sunday when I was out um, on my um, Canyon Ultimate CFS Lex, which has got 40 mil um, carbon rims <laughs> and um, also 28 mil tires. And yeah. I came to I, I was just pootling around um, uh, Warwickshire, around sort of Tamworth and Arden, and um, came to where this road service down this lane was deteriorating. And I thought it said unsuitable for motor vehicles, but I thought, well, they ride Paris Roubaix on things like this. I'll, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll yeah. have a go. And um, I actually managed to find my way through. It was it, nice. I, knew, I, I thought it was going to be quite dry, and then I actually came out on a road that I did know, but had never come through that cut through before. So come come winter, I'll obviously do it on the cross tires or gravel bike. But yeah. when it was dry, it was fine to do on a on, nice. a, on a sort yeah. of carbon race bike. It was right. good fun. I think. Maybe we get it into our heads that, you know, when you have a fancy road bike, you absolutely must stick to tarmac all the time. And there's probably something to do with warranties. And I probably shouldn't be advising anyone that they completely ignore that. But um, I've certainly found that since I've been gravel riding, I've been a lot more adventurous sort of when I do go back onto the road and actually really enjoy a bit of like off-roading. Good bit of road bikes off-road, never hurt anyone. <laughs> Test <the> skills out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think seeing as we're talking about planning gravel routes, it would be a miss to not mention the legality of it. So here in the UK, at least, we have quite stringent rules about where you can and can't ride. We have a number of different public rights of way. So you can ride on a bridleway, which is open to cyclists, horse riders and pedestrians. You can ride on a byway, which is open to all of those, um, plus light motorised traffic, like sort of... Um, off-road motorbikes and that sort of thing, or restricted byways, which are open to, again, uh, horse riders, pedestrians and cyclists, but not motorised traffic. So that gives you a really good idea of like where you can legally ride, but not on footpaths. That is, that is an offence, um, a civil offence, I think, rather than criminal, but that's by the by. So they're best avoided. Although, of course, you can, if it is a short section, like we were saying with the road and gravelly bits, you can get off, dismount, and technically you're a pedestrian and push your bike along short sections of footpath. Um, Robin, you did the West Kerno way, didn't you, last yes. year? I think there's a few little sections of that um, where you technically have to push your bike sort of up from the sand dunes. I think it was oh, Kenick Sands. Yes. Um, up to Regain. And it makes the route make perfect sense because even though, you you know, it's a short bit of push, and to be honest, it was so steep that I don't think I could ride it anyway, it means that you get to enjoy that beautiful beach and sort of loop out at the other end, otherwise you miss it entirely. Gabby, with your infinite route planning experience, do you have any other top tips for... Uh, for planning online often what i'll do if i'm not sure on a route is um i'll switch the map into sports specific mapping which is available on commute so um, i'll be using the gravel algorithm but i'll switch into the mountain bike map which then just shows you really really clearly where there might be any um single track or any trails or just to give you an idea where there might be some good off-road riding and then you can zoom in and check in more detail if that would be suitable for a gravel bike um, i'll also switch into the road overlay this makes all the long distance cycleways really clear um, and then i'll know that if i do want to do a road section and there is a specific long distance cycle route then often that's going to be a really good choice of a road to ride on um, not too busy and often a bit more scenic and if I'm really unsure, I'll put it into the satellite mode. And then what you can do if there's an area where there's like little information, so there might not be any highlights that already exist or anything like that, I'll zoom right in. 
And if I've already got my tour line over that section of the route, you can press the letter M on your keyboard and it will just lift the line. So then you can see underneath and you get a really good bird's eye view. So you can then see if it's double track, single track um, and how it looks. And then you get a really um, good idea of what to expect. Nice, nice. And you said there again, that's a really good point about established long distance routes. Like in the UK, we've got the National Cycle Network, which is excellent, um, put together by Sustrans. And of course, alongside that, there's also loads of uh, routes that are probably not waymarked. Things like the West Kernow Way or the King Alfred's Way, sort of relatively recently put together or, you know, other bikepacking routes. For someone who's relatively new to gravel riding, would you recommend just taking off little chunks of something like that or uh, would you recommend that they plan completely from scratch? I definitely think uh, having done both of those ones you mentioned uh, I think it's quite nice having had other people who've like ridden the route before and they they probably will have put in some nice bits keep you off any a roads uh, they know it's going to be a good view and they'll usually have like marks along the way being like you know there's a train station here or there's a cafe here so I think probably if you are starting out they are quite good to maybe just to do a chunk of it or the whole thing if you really want a challenge yeah rather than just going off to do your own thing although if, if you do want to do your own thing that's also very cool <laughs> yeah absolutely there's definitely benefits to both aren't there yeah as much as I like um pouring over os maps whether on the app or actually a good old paper map and just looking um, somewhere that I want to ride and thinking, oh, that's a bridleway there and this goes here, I can take it left, I can take it right. And then maybe actually putting that route um, through something like Commute or, or Strava at the same time. But I think for anything more long distance, um, yeah, using a, an established NCN, we're, we're so lucky with those here in the UK. Um, and often they'll, if, if you buy the accompanying map, they'll, they'll signal this is an off-road sector, which would be great on a gravel bike. But if you're on a road bike, here's a here's a detour. Yeah, definitely. And that established knowledge, although the road surfaces can change based on the seasons, um, that, that I think that's really indispensable if you're venturing further afield out out of somewhere you know particularly well. Yeah, definitely. And just because something is like a seven-day tour doesn't mean that off the bat you have to go and do all seven days. Break it down, do half a day. A lot of these routes align really nicely with train lines and, you know, putting our sensible hats on, as you alluded to there, Robin, it's a really good idea to have pre-planned any potential sort of exit points, again, with my guide hat on, if there is an emergency and, you you know, your bike is beyond repair or you've had, uh, you know, a little off and you'd like to see medical attention and that sort of thing then it is good to know where your local exit points are going to be how to get off a mountain or how to get to a train station that sort of thing these guides are also likely to advise you when you need to be fully fueled and watered for example um on the on the celtic trail i use the off-road um, ncn 47 between uh Pontypridd and neath and it warned in my map, the Sustrans map that I got, make, make sure you've got two full bottles and plenty <laughs> of food because this 40-kilometre uh, gravel sector is really, really hard, rough and lots of climbing. And no and cafes. And no, definitely no cafes. <laughs> it wasn't a nice sort of bike park in in the valleys. This was actually, this was quite barren actually. And um, I was really glad I heeded, I heeded that advice and had a few sort of emergency gels um, as well because coming to the end of it, it I was absolutely bushed and quite glad to be in Neath uh, to fill up to actually sort of get a coke and some proper food but if I hadn't had snacks with me on that section I would have been really hungry because it took a good two and a half hours and that's another good point and that 40 kilometers on the road mm. could do that in just over an hour 
um, on a road bike. Well. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, sort of. But yeah, when you're when you're lugging bags on a lo- on a multi multi day trip mm. or just on an altogether heavier bike with bigger tires, you're going to need to take a lot longer. Absolutely, and yeah, your snack ratio. You're going to need a lot more snacks. I remember first getting into gravel riding and I was training for quite a long event and I literally just ended up with a whole bum bag full of sandwiches. You know, you don't have to go down the bars and gels sort of route. You can just have actual food or, you know, stop in cafes and things. So uh, make sure you've got enough snacks. (laughs) Well, thank you all very much for joining and sharing your embarrassing, funny stories and experience. (laughs) We've all made these mistakes and I think that's uh, part of how you learn. And I'm sure no doubt that um, a lot of other people listening will be nodding along to that as well. If you enjoyed this podcast, do leave us a review. It really does help us out. And make sure you subscribe to the Bike Radar podcast while you're there. And tune in next week for episode five of our Gravelly series, where we're going to be asking the all-important question, are gravel bikes just mountain bikes from the 90s? Until then, ta Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 